0: Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Lord, we do thank you this morning that as we come to your throne of grace, we come as we are. You don't expect us to transform ourselves to come to your throne of grace. There's nothing required of us but to trust in you how grateful we are for that truth. For if anything was left up to us, we would make a a wreck of it. (laughs) Thank you, Lord, that you take us as we are and we trust in you. Lord, today as we come to this time of worship, by listening to your word, hearing you speak to us, through your word. We pray that the power of your word would go out today, and that your spirit would have an effect on every heart here today. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear, and change our will, O oh Lord, that we may obey. This I pray in Christ's name, amen. Well, if you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to Galatians. Galatians chapter 1, Galatians chapter 1, as we continue to work through the book of Galatians. Galatians chapter 1, we'll be looking at verses 9 and 10 this week. Yes, last week we looked at 6 through 10. But as I began to look at that this morning, or this week and began to dig into it a little deeper, I saw that we could dig a little bit more out of this little Little paragraph here. So we're going to look at and focus in on 9 and 10 this morning. We are living in an age of deception. We're living in an age of deception where deception is all around. There's deceivers everywhere trying to, to win our hearts and win our minds and cloud our minds with deception. Paul warns us in 2 Timothy. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. We are indeed living in those times today. False teachers are all around us. They abound in our world today. So we must be on guard against false teachers. We must be on guard against false teachers and the false gospels that they proclaim. And in so doing, we must then learn to recognize the marks of faithful teachers. We must learn to recognize the marks of faithful teachers, faithful teachers of God's holy word. So today, as we begin to look at this text, dig into this text a little deeper, I want us to see this, and I think we can find this in the passage, a faithful teacher of Christ is committed to sound doctrine and is not deterred by the opinions of men say that again. A faithful teacher of Christ is committed to sound doctrine and is not deterred by the opinions of men. And so as we look at this this morning, as we dig in a little bit deeper, I just got to thinking as we, we see Paul defending the gospel here, and last week we looked at this, and we saw last week where he was, he was naming out, he was calling out the false teachers. And he was uh, saying for us there, he, he described for us there some of the marks of the false gospel. And he c- told us, he said, beware of false gospels. And so as Paul was defending the pure gospel by giving that warning against uh, false gospels, uh, I think we, in this then we can see... The marks of faithful teachers. We can see in Paul's response the marks of a faithful teacher. So I want us to see three marks from the text here. Three marks of a faithful teacher. Just to kind of remind you of last week, if you weren't here. Last week we saw Paul's warning of being where, to be aware of false gospels. Be aware of false gospels. And we saw there, false gospels are distortions of the one true gospel. False gospels lead to destruction. And false gospel reveals one's true devotions. And so this week, then, we want to see the marks of a true and faithful teacher of God's Word. The Galatians, you will remember, they are under attack. These false, talkers, these false teachers have come in and they're attacking this fairly new church. Paul had first established these new churches. There are several churches there in the region of Galatia. And Paul had established these churches not too long uh, before this time. And no sooner than he gets home back to Antioch, he receives the word that this, these churches have been led astray by these false teachers. And the the scheme of the devil has not changed one iota even since Paul's day. He is still trying to lead churches astray from the one true gospel with false teachers. And so we do need to discern the evidence and see the marks of a true and faithful teacher of God's word. If you found your place there, please stand with me in reverence to the reading of God's holy word. It'll be quick this morning. Hear the word of the Lord, as we have said before. So now we say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For for am I now seeking the approval of men or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Amen. May the Lord add blessings to the reading of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word. And may he write its eternal truth on all our hearts. And you may be seated. So three marks of a faithful teacher. Three marks of a faithful teacher. I think as we begin to look into this text, we see, first of all, the first mark of a faithful teacher is this. A faithful teacher is committed to sound doctrine. A faithful teacher is committed to sound doctrine. A faithful teacher of God's Word is committed to sound doctrine. First of all, he is committed. Let's look at our text again. Look there at the first first part of verse 9. As we have said before, Paul tells the Galatians, so we say again. I want you to notice that. Take note of of what he is saying there. As we have said it before, so I say it to you again. Paul here is showing us his commitment to sound doctrine, isn't he? He's not one who wavers in what he has been teaching. He doesn't... uh, wait. He is not tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. But Paul is consistent. He is consistent and he is committed to sound doctrine. This is not something new. This is not something that he he is coming back to. But he is committed to sound doctrine. He said, when I was there with you before, I said it to you. And now that I'm not with you, I'm sending this letter and I'm saying it to you again. You see, one of the, the ploys of these false teachers as they came into Galatia, they began to say, well, Paul, yes, he is a, a proclaimer of the gospel. And yes, he proclaimed to you half of the truth. But Paul wasn't, he didn't give you the whole truth. He didn't give you the whole truth. He didn't tell you the whole story because he knew that you couldn't handle it. And so he compromised the gospel, he compromised it, so he changed it a little bit to please you, to make it easy on you. So he didn't tell you that it was the gospel plus the law of Moses. See, that was their deal. They wanted to add in to the gospel. It's the gospel plus the law. You've got to have both to be saved. But Paul says, make no mistake about, about it, I am committed to the one true gospel. I haven't changed one bit. The gospel that was given to me by Jesus Christ, that's the gospel that I proclaimed to you. I do not waver in that. He was committed to sound doctrine. He didn't change his story just to make the Galatians happy. He was committed to sound doctrine. We can see this illustrated for us in 1 Kings. 1 Kings chapter 18, we see a great illustration of this type of of wavering. There in 1 Kings, we have the episode there where Elijah is, is battling the prophets of Baal. Now this is in the time of the divided kingdom. You had Judea down in the south, and you had Israel up in the north. And King Ahab was king over the northern empire, the northern kingdom. And who was his bride but that uh, uh, of the most adulterous of women, Jezebel. She was the most wicked king, queen who has probably ever walked the earth. That's why when we see in Scripture uh, someone, when they want to, to call someone out, when they want to name a woman for being uh, an adulteress, for being most sinful, they call her what? A Jezebel. Jezebel was the queen of Ahab, and Ahab and Jezebel had established Baal worship there in the northern kingdom. So the people of Israel, if you would have asked them on the streets on, in that day, do you believe in Yahweh? Yeah, we believe in Yahweh. Yes, we follow the Lord. He is the Lord our God who brought our ancestors out of Egypt. All right, well, what about Baal? Oh, yeah, we follow Baal too. We like Baal because we like what he has to offer us as well. And so there was this battle. There was this kind of wavering back and forth between Yahweh, the God of Israel, the one true God, and Baal. And Elijah comes to the people of Israel in that day, and he says, and Elijah came near, this is 1 Kings chapter 18 verse 21, and Elijah came near to all the people and said, "How long will you go limping between two different opinions?" If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. You see, the people of Israel, they were limping around between two opinions. They were limping around between Baal worship and Yahweh worship. And Elijah says, quit limping around. If, God is, if the Lord God is God, if Yahweh is God, worship Him. If Baal is God, then worship Him. But quit this wavering between two opinions. That's what these false teachers were calling, uh, accusing Paul of being. He was wavering between two opinions. And Paul says, no, sir, not at all. What I proclaimed to you before, I proclaim to you now. A true gospel preacher A faithful teacher of God's word does not limp around between two opinions, but he is committed to sound doctrine. Notice there too, he is committed to sound doctrine. That's what he is committed to. Sound doctrine, the true gospel of Jesus Christ. There's an inference that we can pull from that. Paul here, he you you notice that. what I have said to you before, what we said to you before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching, he is proclaiming to you a gospel, a, the good news of God, contrary to the one you receive, let him be accursed. The infer, inference here, or the emphasis here is on the gospel. You see, Paul, for him to know the true gospel, for him to be sound in sound doctrine, then he himself had to be mature in the faith. He had to be mature in the faith. He had to know sound doctrine himself. He had to know what the true gospel was before he could make this claim. I mean, he is making an amazing claim here. If anyone is preaching to you another gospel, let him be accursed. Let him be accursed. And we remember from last week in the verse right, for, right before that, he said, if we, if I come to you, or an angel from heaven should come down to you and teach you another gospel, let him be accursed. Well, that's some strong language there. He's calling on himself. If I am teaching the wrong thing, if I am not sound in my doctrine, if I'm not sound in what I'm teaching you, then let me receive all the judgment of God and eternity of, and the eternity of hell if I'm t- leading you astray. I mean, that's serious. So Paul here, we can infer, Paul was sound in doctrine. He was sound in his faith. In fact, we see in the New Testament the requirements of the elder slash pastor. That's what an elder is. An elder is a pastor. But we see the requirement for an elder in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and 6. He must not be a recent convert or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the the condemnation of the devil. A pastor, an elder, is not to be a new convert. He must be sound in his faith, sound in the doctrines of God. He must know what he's talking about. Now, that that doesn't mean he has to know everything. I can tell you, I don't know everything. Praise be to God, I'll be learning more about God till the day I die. And I believe that even when we get into eternity, we'll never know all there is to know about God because God is just that fantastic. He is that amazing. He is that wonderful. So It's not that a a pastor, an elder, a, a teacher of God's Word has to know everything about God and about God's Word. He doesn't have to have every piece of doctrine figured out for himself, but he better be sound in doctrine. He better at least have the core beliefs down pat. He better know those things. He better be sound in those things. He better be committed to those things. First and foremost, he better be committed and he better be sound when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is one gospel. There is no other gospel. There is one gospel. So a pastor must be sound in faith. He must be a mature believer. You know, one of the problems I see in in the church today, and you've all seen this before. This kind of just it irks me. It irks me. This is a pet peeve of mine. A, A new believer comes and he feels called to the ministry. And what does the church do? Oh, well, next week we're gonna put you in the pulpit and let you preach. That's unbiblical. It's unbiblical. Don't do that. We're not going to do that. That's unbiblical. That man is not sound in faith. He has has to grow. He has to learn God's Word before he can get up in the pulpit and profess God's Word. There's got to be a time of growth, a time of maturing. He must be mature in the faith. He must be sound in the Word of God. And here's why. It is the task of the pastor to lead the rest of the church to maturity. That's the pastor's job. That's his task. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, starting in verse 11, if you have your Bibles, you want to flip over there. Ephesians 4, starting in verse 11, this is why God gives pastors and elders to the church. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, that's the pastors, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until, he, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of God, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when, it, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. The task of the pastor is to lead the congregation, to lead the body of Christ, the church, to maturity. How can a man of God lead a body of God, the body of Christ into maturity if he himself is not mature in the faith? He must be sound in doctrine. So a faithful teacher must be committed to sound doctrine. He must be steadfast and committed to sound doctrine. That is the first mark of a faithful teacher. The second mark of a faithful teacher then is this, a faithful teacher is courageous in speaking truth. A faithful teacher of God's Word is courageous in speaking truth. That is to say, first of all, he is no man-pleaser. He is no man-pleaser. That's exactly what Paul says, verse 10, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? That's a rhetorical question, by the way. The the answer to that question is inferred. I'm a I'm a, I'm an a, a, I'm appeal to God. I'm a pleaser of God. I don't appeal to men. I don't seek the uh, the the uh, confirmation of men. I don't seek to please men, but I seek to please God first and foremost. I want God's approval, not man's approval. A man of God's Word, a teacher of God's Word, cannot be one who seeks to be approved by men. He can be no man pleaser. As Jason was saying there, uh, he can't be sugary sweet on one side and, and uh, bitter in taste on the other, whatever. right? He can't be like that. He's got to be the same man all the time, uh, grounded in the Word of God, seeking God's approval, not man's approval. Now, this is, not, this is contrary to what we see in world leadership. In worldly leadership, we see men and women who are out there to please other men and women. They're men-pleasers. They want the approval of men. Oh, man, do we see this? Don't we see this in politics? All over the place in politics. Let me give you a wonderful example. Back in 1996, Congress overwhelmingly approved the Defense of Marriage Act, which defined marriage as the unity between one man and one woman. Overwhelmingly, they passed that, that act. And President Bill Clinton immediately signed it into law. He approved of it, and he signed it into law. Then in 2009, when President Barack Obama became president, he supported the Defense of Marriage Act. He believed, he said, he believed that marriage was the unity of one man to one woman. He believed that. But then, fast forward four years in 2012, President Obama, President Clinton, and half of those who signed that that bill into law, they changed their mind. They, I quote, evolved in their view on marriage. And now those who had approved the law back in uh, 2000, or 1996 and 2009, now they said, oh, no, we changed our mind. We were wrong. We're evolving in our view. And they changed their view on marriage completely. Now, did they evolve? No. They just followed the wind of change. Their constituents, those who supported them, they changed their mind. No longer was marriage between one man and one woman. It no longer was that the the view in popular opinion. So what do the politicians do? They change their mind. They go with the, the thought of the day and they follow that. But a man of God, a faithful teacher of God's Word, He cannot be like that. He cannot follow the opinions of men. He cannot be a man pleaser. He must be sound in faith. He cannot evolve in his views. He must courageously speak the truth no matter the cost. In the book of Acts, we see after Pentecost takes place and the disciples, the apostles, they're empowered by the power of the Holy Spirit. They go out into Jerusalem, and they begin to proclaim the gospel throughout Jerusalem. They go to teach in the the synagogue, in the temple complex there. They begin to proclaim the gospel. And the elders and the, the, the chief priests and the elders, they came and they arrested them, and they charged them to no longer preach in the name of Jesus. Yet... In chapter 5, they are found once again going out throughout all of Jerusalem proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so the chief priests and the elders had the apostles arrested again. And they said to them, and when they brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teachings, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. A faithful teacher of God's Word must not be a man-pleaser, but he must seek the approval of God. God's approval is His main focus his primary focus and why is this why is it that a man of God a teacher of God's word must first seek God's approval above anything else because a teacher of God's word will stand before God and give an account for what he teaches 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 3-4 through four says this, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please men, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. You see, dear friends, One of these days, I'm very well aware that I will have to stand before God and give an account for what I preach from this pulpit. I will have to stand before God and give an account for what I preach from this pulpit. And I will be judged by what I teach and preach throughout my life as a preacher of God's Word. Now understand, this is not in the sense of of salvation, It's not in a sense of salvation, for by grace we have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, but it is the work of God. It's not about our works, lest anyone should boast. But nevertheless, I will have to give an account before Jesus Christ for what I teach. James chapter 3, verses 1. Says this, not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. We who teach will be judged with straighter strictness, greater strictness. You see, it's not a a matter of me losing my salvation or gaining salvation from preaching sound doctrine, but it is a matter of being found approved before God. It's a matter of rewards. What rewards, what, What rewards will I get in heaven to lay at the Savior's feet for my teaching and preaching? What will be taken out for my leading astray? I don't know exactly what this judgment will look like. But I want you to know it keeps me up sometimes at night to think about my teaching and preaching. Am I leading them straight, Lord? Am I leading them straight? Is there anywhere that I'm wavering? Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 says obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account let them do this with great joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. The prince of preachers Charles Spurgeon once said I tremble like an aspen leaf and often in coming down from this pulpit, I have felt my knees knock together. Not that I'm afraid of any one of my hearers, but I am thinking of that account which I must render to God, whether I speak His word faithfully or not. On this service may hang the eternal destinies of many. Oh, preachers and teachers of God's Word have a grave responsibility upon them to teach sound doctrine every time and to never waver with the opinions of men. Oh, dear friends, when you look to sound teachers, are they teaching the pure Word? Are they faithful in what they teach? Or are they wavering? Oh, a faithful teacher has little time to worry about the opinions of men. Has little time to worry about the opinions of men. His thoughts must always, always, always be on the delight of the Lord. So a faithful, the first mark of a faithful teacher, he is committed to sound doctrine. Second, he is courageous in speaking truth. And third, a faithful teacher is captive in service to Christ. A faithful teacher is captive in service to Christ. Look there again in verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Now notice there that Paul recognizes the fact that at one time he was a man pleaser. At one time, he was a man-pleaser. There was a time in his life, and we'll look at this more next week, but there was a time in Paul's life when he was seeking the approval of men. When he went out from Jerusalem and he went to seek Christians, to enslave them and bring them back to Jerusalem for judgment before the elders and the chief priests, he was trying to seek the approval of the elders and the chief priests. He was seeking the approval of men. But something happened to Paul. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And though he had been living in sin, living in rebellion against God and God's Savior, he had been running in religious zeal. He had been running away from God, kicking against God. Yet on the road to Damascus, he met his Savior he met the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And Paul says, well, who are you, Lord? He recognized him as Lord. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Paul was persecuting the church, trying to rip them out of their houses and homes and take them to stand before the the chief priests and the elders back in Jerusalem. He was resisting the Lord. He was battling against the Lord Jesus Christ. But when Jesus met him on the road to Damascus, everything changed. Paul turned over a new leaf, if you will. He quit running away from God. He repented from that, and he turned to Jesus, and he began to serve Jesus. He was no longer running away from Christ, but now he was a slave to Christ. If I were trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. That word servant there... It kind of loses its meaning in, in many English translations, including the ESV here. It says servant here, but the word there is the Greek term doulos. Doulos is the word for slave. He's not just a servant. You see, we can think of a servant who some comes in and he serves tables and then maybe goes home and does something else. But that's not what Paul is saying here. He says, I am a slave to Christ. If I were still trying to please man, then I would not be a slave, a bondservant to Jesus Christ. He is no just ordinary servant. He's not a here come one day this thing and the next day that thing. He didn't just come into church on Sunday and say, oh, I'm here to serve God, and then go out on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday and do his other thing. He was a slave to Christ. He was a slave. He was in shackles and chains to Jesus Christ, his Lord. Oh, man, we all need to learn that lesson because I fear that many times we come in here and we serve the Lord on Sunday and then we go out and serve ourselves the rest of the week. Paul said, that's not me. That is not me. I am a slave to Christ. I am bound to Christ because of what He has done for me. What does it mean to be a slave, dear friend? That means that you are not your own. You don't belong to yourself anymore. You're not your own master, but you go and do as your master pleases. You do His work. You live for His glory. You live for His name. It's no longer about you. In fact, we're called to crucify the flesh, crucify our sinful selves on the cross of Jesus Christ and live for Jesus. Faithful teacher of Jesus Christ must be a slave, a bondservant. In the Old Testament, we see this uh, demonstrated for us, and it gives us these qualifications in the Old Testament, in the book of Leviticus. You see, in the book of Leviticus, uh, a man could actually sell himself into slavery, say he, he got into debt, couldn't pull himself out, so he would sell himself, in a sense, to his brother, who has a little more, he's a little more financially stable, and so he would sell himself to his brother, and he would work for him for a period of years. And then the Old Testament had a, a requirement that after seven years, that man would go free. He was basically working to pay off debt. And so once that work to that master was over, and then once that debt was fulfilled, then he would be let free. But it also offered this other requirement. If this brother, who got, he sold himself into slavery to work for this man, if he finds that, hey, man, working for this guy is a wonderful thing. He is a good boss. He, he's good to me. He's good to my family. And, you know, I kind of like the situation here. Well, what he, he could do if he liked that situation, he could become a bond servant to that man. He's his full-time employee from now on. He, he's his. And the way that they would do that is they would take them to show that they were a bondservant. They were giving themselves basically to this other man. Was They would take their ear and they would go to the doorpost and they would take an awl and drill it through the ear to mark him as, I'm willfully giving myself to the service of this man because he is a good master. So he would mark himself as a bondservant. Paul says, I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Take an all, drill my ear, if you will. I am his. He is a good master. He is a good owner. And and I want to follow him. I want to give it all to him. You see, dear Christian, when we become a, a follower of Jesus Christ, when we give our hearts to Jesus, that's what we're to say. We're no longer Independent. We're no longer our own, but we belong to the Creator of all things. We belong to the Redeemer of all things. We belong to a good God, a good Savior, who loves us and gave His life for us. It's saying, I give you my all. I am a slave to you, Jesus. And who better to be a slave to And the one who willingly went to Calvary's cross, laid down on that instrument of death, received upon Himself all the judgment that we deserve, He received it all upon Himself to give us eternal life in Him. Who better to serve? I want to serve Jesus. Lord Jesus, I am your bond servant, a faithful teacher, is captive, captive to the service of Jesus Christ. Scripture tells us that you cannot serve two masters. Luke chapter sixteen, verse thirteen: You, no servant can serve two masters, for he either he will either hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Now, Jesus directly was, was there talking about money, the love of money, but the truth is, is said to any other thing. Dear friend, you cannot serve two masters, whether that be yourself or Christ. You cannot serve yourself and Christ. Or else you will love yourself and end up hating Christ. Or you'll be devoted to yourself and despise Christ. You cannot serve self and Christ. You must be a servant of Christ alone. No one can be, you cannot be a slave to Christ and still be a slave to people's opinions. When you think about being obedient to people's opinions, being caught up in people's opinions, being a man pleaser, you can't please men and please Christ at the same time. You can't go along with the the norm of today, with the, the, the wave of society and all the things that they approve and still be pleasing to Jesus Christ. Who will you be a slave to? You're going to be a slave to someone, either yourself, the world, or Jesus. Who will you be a slave to? Dear friends, a faithful teacher, a faithful teacher of the gospel, a faithful teacher of God's Word is captive in service to Christ. He is a slave to Jesus. So the marks of a faithful teacher, committed, a faithful teacher is committed to sound doctrine. He is courageous in speaking truth and he is captive in service to Jesus Christ. See, dear friends, the world today is captive to the flesh. The motto of the world is, is if it feels good, then do it. The world is captive to the, the desires of the flesh. The world is a slave to the desires of the flesh. And so the worldly teachers today, they are enslaved to the desires of the flesh. They're enslaved to the opinions of men. They're enslaved to, to whatever the way, the world tells them to go. But we are called to put to death the flesh. Put to death the desires of the flesh and live unto God. Therefore, a faithful teacher and preacher of God's Word must be devoted to Christ, devoted to sound doctrine, seeking the the approval of Jesus Christ above and beyond everything else. Dear friends, I know today, especially in our day, and time. It's so easy. To, you, you go out of here, and, and I'm not the only voice that you're going to listen to. You're going to leave out of here today, and you're gonna, you'll turn on the, the Christian radio station, and you're going to hear other voices out there. Don't listen to every voice. I don't care what station they're on. If they're on the, the, the cross or, or the hill or, or American Family Radio, don't you listen to every voice out there. Because there's some voices out there that will lead you astray. They will bend to the wills the will of man and not teach the word of God. Oh they'll sound good, but judge them. Judge them. Be a, a, a fruit judge. Look at their lives. What is their life telling you? Is their life telling you they're a servant of God? a servant of Jesus Christ? Are they a servant to flesh? Are they a servant to men? Judge them. Look to them. What are they teaching you? Now today there's some here. You're not listening to anyone but those worldly teachers. Because you've been living your life in absolute rebellion against the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. You've been kicking against God. Like Paul, maybe you've been living according to some law that you've made up for yourself, but like Paul, you've been living in disobedience to God. You've been doing your own thing, serving yourself, serving the world, doing all of these things and running from Jesus Christ. I want to tell you today, you deserve eternal punishment for what you have done. You deserve eternal punishment for, for running away from God and kicking against His rule but I want you to know that God loves you despite your rebellion. He loves you. In fact, He loved you so much that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to this world to die in your place. He lived a life in complete obedience. He never rebelled one bit, but He went to Calvary's cross and He died a death in your place to give you life. And He was raised again to assure you that all of your sin has been paid for He offers you life if you would only turn away from your rebellion and trust in Him the invitation for you today is that will you turn away from your rebellion will you give your life over to Jesus if you will He surely will save you Oh Heavenly Father Lord, I pray today that you would guard our hearts against falsehood. Guard our hearts against falsehood. Give us eyes to see those false teachers who are out there. And Lord, I pray for myself. As I've been called to this church to be a pastor, to be a shepherd to this flock. Lord, let me not speak a word out of turn. Let me not speak a word in error. But Lord, I give myself completely to you. Guide my steps. Give me knowledge and wisdom that I may lead your people to maturity. Oh Lord, if there's those today who do not know Jesus, Lord, turn their hearts to him. Let them see Jesus as their Savior and Redeemer, and trust in Him. This I pray in Christ's name. Amen.